the uh <laughs> i think sorry my dog no. is like barking for no reason <laughs> sorry it's all good <laughs> do you need a minute or okay um i'll just edit all this it's fine Welcome back to Hardcore Football. I'm Phil Baki. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika. Hey. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who had, who among us had Liverpool and Manchester United getting pumped for 13 goals collectively on their 2020 bingo card? <laughs> Because I did it. I, did I sure as hell did it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, this is this weekend. And it's not even it's not even just the Premier League. There's just like kind of weird thing. This whole beginning of, of this new season is going kind of strangely all over the place. For um, sure. But yeah, I guess. I mean, we may as well. <laughs> as well. Well, first off, like, how was your weekend? Like, how how are you doing? Is everything good? <laughs> I'm good. I am like, I found a way to watch all of the top five leagues now. Like I found out all my streaming options. So that's literally all I did this weekend is like, I'm like, man, I'm paying for all this. I'm going to watch all the content. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I watched, watched a lot of football. Um, I had a friend over last night and after drinking a bottle of very cheap Cabernet Sauvignon to myself, I had said, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like Villa are going to do a madness. And I was joking, like completely right. joking. <laughs> like, I didn't believe, I didn't believe that at all. And I should have put money on it. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was traveling this weekend. Um, responsibly, I guess we drove out to Chicago to visit my sisters. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I had the pleasure of watching this match, uh, with, company i guess um like you know normally erica is used to dealing with whatever random stress induced by liverpool or you know my other clubs uh is involved <laughs> but i got to watch this travesty around other people um kind of just outside of my normal my normal exposure and uh yeah it was a weird one. Um i guess we may as well dive right in. Uh the premier league i i summed it up it just what the fuck? Like, <laughs> just, um, but Aston Villa seven, Liverpool two at Villa Park. Uh, Ollie Watkins with his first Premier League hat trick, a perfect hat trick, as you pointed out before he started recording. John McGinn, Ross Barkley, and Jack Grealish all add goals with Mohamed Salah with, with a brace for Liverpool. Normally good news, um, but really a pointless <laughs> under under uh underscore i guess of uh of the real story here mika as the unbiased half of <laughs> of this podcast what did you make of this crazy result uh i i mean to you know truth be told i turned it off after like the fifth goal because i was like this <laughs> I was I was like almost uncomfortable watching it. Um but you and me I, both. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that this is one of those like once in a generation results. I you know, the a lot of the focus is gonna be on Liverpool, rightly so. They are the defending champions, and to you know, get seven put on you is 
pretty remarkable, especially from a team that barely avoided relegation last season. But I do want to give some credit to Villa because I think they've low-key had a really good transfer window. I mean, they brought in Emmy Martinez, um, you know, Ollie Watkins, who had, I think, 26 goals last season for, for Brentford. Um, Jack Grealish re-signed on a long-term deal after a lot of speculation about maybe he was joining Manchester United or, you know, something like that. And um, And Ross Barkley on loan from Chelsea, which... I've never really rated Ross Barkley, but I thought he looked pretty good today, uh, you know, in this fixture. Yeah. So, so yeah, Villa have done a lot of good business. I think they're very much trying to stay up more comfortably this season. And I, I feel like a lot of the goals were very fluky. I don't think they happen ever again, honestly. Um, but Liverpool did play a really high line, and I don't know that I – uh, it, I kind of, I kind of had like Byron vibes from it, like Byron Hoffenheim vibes, like just constantly in behind, um, you know. And and I feel like Adrian's mistake in the you know early going just kind of set the tone for the rest of of the game. Really, um, I feel like there was no confidence in each other, you know, in that defensive unit after that. I mean, then, you know, goals fly off Van Dyke's boot, like just random crap that I just, <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to happen again. But, but I mean, you know, I think Villa did, did take it to Liverpool, um, you know, you know, getting behind that, that high line every time. And so, so yeah, I mean, fluke, crazy result. I don't think it happens again. I do want to give credit to Villa, but, but yeah, just, you know, something that Liverpool just needs <laughs> to take in <laughs> and move on, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think what you said about about Adrian's uh, mistake for the first setting the tone. Um, I really do. I really do think that Liverpool's response to the goal and to going behind. I mean, we've seen this Liverpool team go behind. You know, I not I don't want to say frequently, but I mean it happens from time to time, um, and most often the response is brilliant like the response from Klopp's teams has been charged back and you know I mean unfortunately your club Arsenal has been on the end of a few games like that yeah and you always let us score first and then get upset and like put five on us so I mean I even tweeted that like you know when the first one went in I said you know Liverpool always let you get one and then they annihilate you right (laughs) I was just wrong today so it was weird it was weird to see the response be negative like it was very odd to see the team not bounce back and not kind of rebound from that that early setback it it very much did seem like there was a loss of confidence among the back line and I think the injury to Allison um is significant in in the title race uh it wasn't it like it didn't end up being last season because Adrian did you know he was serviceable for um uh, for those matches. I think the Atletico Madrid mistakes uh that led to them being eliminated from the Champions League have changed Adrian um and made him maybe a little less confident. Um but watching the sequence in the build up to the first goal, Adrian all I I could have told you that he was like as soon as he received the ball, I was like he's he's going to fuck this up. (laughs) Like as soon as he looked for Gomez and didn't look long, like it was, it was always going to go badly. And uh, unfortunately for, for Liverpool, it did. And from there, they just never looked 
confident as a unit. They didn't move the way that they normally do because I think against Arsenal, Klopp specifically brought up the fact that you know there's going to be moments when you play aggressively and you play a high line there's going to be those like dangerous moments, but we play organized and we catch people offside where, you know, like doing all of the things that that defense and that style is supposed to do. It just didn't work today. And the rhythm wasn't really there. Gomez like plays, uh, Watkins on for, uh, for the second, um, I think it's actually Gomez's trailing foot that Ross that keeps Ross Barkley on side that in the move that led to the corner for the third. Um, so there's a couple of times where it's like it, it almost worked like the VAR defense that they play of catching people off. Like it almost worked, but it, it really didn't. And Ross Barkley was making those runs down the channel and just giving us complete fits the entire game. Um, I do think that there's an opportunity maybe uh, early on where Mo Salah probably should have had a penalty um, and Martin, Martin Atkinson doesn't give it. It didn't really go to VAR. It seemed pretty obvious that it should have been a penalty like Salah completely wiped out in the box. Um, but, and maybe that changes things, but I think, you know, the ifs, ifs, buts and maybes uh, are pretty big in this game. And, you know, there's a couple deflections, as you said, that if they don't go in, it's a different game. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, uh, Villa Villa full credit for the win. I think, I mean, maybe the scoreline flatters, but at yeah. the, they did, they did enough to win. And I think Klopp acknowledged as much, I think maybe four, two would have been more fair uh, to Liverpool in terms of, uh, how it went, but I don't think anyone associated with Liverpool is walking away from this game. Like, Oh, we should have won that. Um, I think the performance right. merited the loss and credit to Villa for playing the champ, like outplaying the champions. So, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, you, you bring up Allison and obviously that's a, that's a big miss because he's so crucial to the way that Liverpool plays. I think Sadio Mane is a big miss too, because last time out against Arsenal, uh, he came out smashing people. And I mean, there's just, (laughs) he just embodies that Liverpool heavy metal, Jurgen Klopp style of play and sets the tone, I think for the other, you know, for the other players and is a leader in, in that regard, you know, not, not necessarily wearing the armband, but just leading by example. And I think that, you know, Diogo Jota is a good player, but um, in this match and in, in previous the previous appearance that I saw him for Liverpool, he's definitely still learning the, his teammates' movements. I see him in a lot of spaces that maybe Salah or Firmino would rather be in that he kind of finds himself in. And, you know, maybe, you know, there's miscommunication or they're kind of just like running into each other. And so, you know, not having money, I think, was a big deal. Um, for both of those reasons for that, I, that I just stated, you know, one, the energy and two, just the, the understanding, you know, with that attacking unit. So, yeah, I, I, I agree completely. I think the, I think four, four, two, five, two, maybe would have been fair. Seven is, is ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, and I think it also maybe comes with this style of play every now and then it just doesn't work. I mean, we mm-hmm. saw, we saw Southampton get smashed by Leicester and they play, you know, a diet version of Jurgen Klopp's heavy right. metal football. A team that barely avoided relegation um, against the champions. But just before this, Spurs go to Old Trafford and 
hands six goals to Man United as well. Um, it looked like things were going United's way when they received a, a they got a penalty inside the first minute. Um, but Karma like quickly came back and uh, and Spurs just absolutely, I mean, destroyed United in this one. Yeah, and I and I think that this is. Um and I hope I don't sound too biased because Tottenham is involved in this one, but I think this is the much more embarrassing result. I think, I think Tottenham Hotspur played Manchester United off the pitch. Um, you know, the, the penalties, uh, this one, fair enough. I mean, it is a really bad foul in the box by, I think it was Davinson Sanchez yeah. on Anthony Martial. So whatever, fair enough. But I mean, you can't rely on just your speedy, your speedy attackers getting fouled in the box. That's not a sustainable way of playing um i don't know that that's necessarily the what they're planning to do but i mean you know united were just poor they were poor on the ball they were poor in defense which you know last season they were actually pretty decent as a defensive unit if Mm -hmm. if there's anything that like on a social can do it's set up a defense and then counterattack. you didn't see any of that today right um he just looked completely shell-shocked by what was going on in front of him and and not reacting to the situation. Um, you, you know, Spurs were just quicker to everything. And, and Spurs, I really don't think they played, like, brilliantly. I just think that they were better. Right. Um, and United were at fault for a lot of, you know, their own... I mean, the Harry Maguire heading it back, like... <laughs> just that, that partnership. <laughs> I want to touch on that, too. That partnership of Harry Maguire and Eric Bailly, like... It's weird because you think, on paper at least, it should work because Harry Maguire is more of that, you know, solid aerial presence that mm-hmm. passes the ball really well. And Eric Bailly is, you know, um, athletic, quick, right. uh, pacey, can step out of the line and react and, and do all that. But it, in reality, it just doesn't work. Um, that, that partnership doesn't work. The partnership with Lindelof, probably not good enough either. Um, and then Harry Maguire himself didn't really cover himself in glory today with some of his decisions. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, it just, <laughs> I mean, Nemanja Matic is their only true like CDM worthy of a first team play. I mean, Scott McTominay is not that kind of player. I don't think, even though they try to shove him in that six role, mm-hmm. um, Nemanja Matic is getting older. Fred is Fred. <laughs> um, and you know, in contrast to Aston Villa, Ma- Manchester United have not had a good transfer window. I mean, they brought in Donny Van de Beek, which I, I've already acknowledged that's a great signing, but mm-hmm. the rumors now are, are Alex Telles from Porto and, mm-hmm. and Edinson Cavani. Now, obviously two very good players, but do they turn this around? I don't think so. Um, you know, Cavani is a great striker getting up there in age needs a high volume of chances to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Tellez is a dead ball specialist, so he gives them that. I mean, but that also kind of brings me back to, are they relying on getting these calls in and around the area? Right. Um, which, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so the, the problems run very, very deep at Manchester United. And um, I didn't even talk about Marcel's red card. I mean, I like was... they just <laughs> lost it. They just completely lost it. I mean, you cannot slap your opponent. Right. Um, in the face, you know, Lamella makes the most of it. Sure. But you like, you can't do that. It's against the rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, we spoke, we spoke about, uh, we, you know, we spoke about on, uh, on Twitter. I, 
I brought up that you never get into a shit house match like or a shit house off with an Argentinian. <laughs> right. It's just I, I joked about the Princess Bride, like never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line, like never go in against an Argentinian when a red card is on the line. Like that is that Thanks. is the simplest I can I can boil it down because there is there's a little bit of a shove from Lamella. But the second you touch his face, you give him one every reason to to make the most of it and mm. and show the referee that I've been hit in the face. But there's also VAR and they're going to see it like they're going to see that you, you hit him in the face. And that's yep. always a red card. It's just always has been. It, you know, that's just how it is. Like, I think there's some things that are considered like accidental or like in the run of play. I think Sadio Mane maybe got away with one, uh, against oh, Arsenal. Yeah. He did. Um, but <laughs> when you're standing waiting for a set piece to come in and you hit your opponent in the face, like you're going to get sent off like nine and a half times out of 10, you're going to get yep. sent off. So, well, and you know, if you've been watching, um, all or nothing, Mourinho told him be cunts. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they they have been. They're taking it to heart. The one the one thing so Marcial was sent off, but the I think it's important to highlight the fact that the game was all had already turned. By the time the red card happened, like Indombele and Son had already scored for Tottenham. And yes, I think like the game gets slightly easier for Tottenham down to ten, but it's not like they had De Gea sent off or Maguire or anyone like key to the defense. They had one of their outlets sent off, but I don't think it excuses the fact that they basically then bunkered with 10 and got absolutely like, you know, destroyed for six. Um, They end the game with two shots on target, one of which was a penalty. So like, I mean, they create one open play shot and even down to 10, that's brutal. Like that's just absolutely <laughs> awful sure. uh, and just underlies a game plan. But I think from a Spurs perspective, I think it's important to highlight Indombele, who was completely out of favor. Mourinho basically was shopping him around, like trying to get rid of him. He's become super influential this season. And I mean, do you think that, I think we all know that Mourinho will sell this as see my motivational tactics work, (laughs) but in Dombele, do you think basically the market being the way that it is and like maybe his inability to move just due to the fee, the contract, do you think he's basically just buckled down and said like, well, I'm going to make this work and at least put myself in the shop window for next year. Yeah, I, I think that's more likely than anything Mourinho has done to somehow, you know, turn the switch on for him and this form switch. Um, and Domboli is an insanely talented player. He's, yeah. to me, like a, a Moussa Dembele regen, <laughs> like the way he just kind of glides across the, the pitch with the ball. Um, he had a, a fantastic game. Hoybjerg, I was actually really impressed with him, um, a signing that I kind of had question marks about just because it wasn't very you know, glamorous to be fair, but I thought he had a really good game. Um, I mean, there were times that, that Spurs looked content to just knock it around at the back and not, not pile on. And even with that United still couldn't, you know, get their foot on the ball and try to make something happen. And with, with the outlay that's been put into this squad, it's just unacceptable. Um, 
you know, and speaking of outlay, I don't think Paul Pogba would be at this club right now if it wasn't for the coronavirus. I think, I think he probably would have moved. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, it's just a disaster. I, (laughs) I don't know. I think all is gone by Christmas. Yeah. I, well, I think the, I think it's one of those, it's interesting. And we talked right before we start recording, but in, in the case of these two kind of embarrassing defeats for two big clubs, Liverpool's hits in kind of a very shocking way, but one that is maybe a little bit of like, Hey, a result like this is kind of coming. Um, there's, you know, a lot of things about the system and, you know, still, I think still Liverpool miss a bunch of chances in this one too, to make it a little more interesting potentially. Um, United's on the other hand is just like demonstrates a lot of the shortcomings all at once rather than what most of these performances it's like uh yeah a little uneasy about the defense like they were looking a little soft or uh, I don't know if the where the goals are coming from like this this game just showcased it all where it's like there was no attack there was no yeah. defending <laughs> there was just absolutely nothing on offer so I agree I think Ali is like in the hot seat now, um, mm-hmm. any goodwill that he had in terms of like being a legend and all of that stuff is, is thoroughly burned, um, at this point. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before United start trying to, cause they're certainly in a win now situation. They've spent so much money. Um, not to say that it's been spent usefully or in any way that's like bettered them as a squad, mm-hmm. but they've invested a lot. And as a public company, they're going to want to start seeing a return on the investment. I think <laughs> a lot of the investors. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Um, yeah. yeah. W- one thing too, that I guess you can't really quantify or, or maybe people smarter than me can, but, and I don't know how you feel about this, Phil, but for me, it seems like a lot of these teams are playing without fear with no crowd. Right. Um, and I hate to say this, but my club Arsenal, I feel like have benefited massively from, from not having fans at the Emirates in some ways. I mean, financially, sure. obviously it's a disaster and I'm not at all advocating for this to continue. I, yeah. I hope fans <laughs> can come back soon, yeah. but I'm just saying like that, pressure and sometimes in Arsenal's case anyway the toxicity mm-hmm. not being there has allowed teams in my opinion to try things and to like really go at sure teams that are theoretically better than them on paper or maybe in actuality right so i think you saw that today with villa um i don't know that they play that expansively uh with a full villa park sure tonamotspur i don't know that they you know go at united at the theater of dreams yeah. <laughs> like that like the way that they did um and and so so yeah i just think that that's a really interesting thing again yeah. want to make sure that i'm being understood that i'm not advocating that fans <laughs> don't come back that obviously the the cons of that far outweigh the pros but i think for some of these teams it's helping yeah it and it's really it's a really interesting point because i think for a team like villa when the expectation is avoid relegation um, there is a lot of kind of fear that is instilled and, and, you know, rightfully so, I guess in, in terms of, okay, let's make sure we try to get a result. Let's, you know, and, uh, and I think in the case of 
Spurs at Old Trafford, I think Spurs have often as a club, obviously there are lots of changes in personnel between, you know, over the years, but Spurs rarely get results at Old Trafford. They almost always like are on the other end of a six one. Like the, no matter how good they are, they always seem to to fold in front of the 90,000, whatever it is at, in yeah. Manchester. And yeah, today they, they just showed absolutely no fear. And I think from United's perspective, I think there's also a level of accountability and urgency in defense when you're in front of your home fans that isn't there when yeah. there's no one there. Like, cause you're, you're just kind of, you're not reacting to something you're hearing around and there's kind of that nervous energy when a chance is being created by the opposition and maybe it just sharpens you a little bit and there is none of that right now. So it's a, it is an interesting, uh, an interesting thought. Cause we have talked about, uh, especially I think in Germany with the return of fans, kind of the impact of that but what's the lasting impact of no fans that's that's another exactly another interesting interesting thought um and another team that i think may have been impacted by the lack of fans uh in another just kind of shocking result this weekend leicester city coming fresh off of a, a win over manchester city uh, and an emphatic win at that um take on West Ham in Leicester at the King power and lose three nil. Um, David Moyes coaching over zoom as he's in quarantine. <laughs> like there is uh, Leicester held to no shots on target and just four shots despite having 70% of the ball. Uh, Mikael Antonio, Paulo Fornals and Jared Bowen rounding out the scoring for West Ham. It's, it, this almost feels like more stunning than some of the results just because of how, what we thought about West Ham. Are we seeing that kind of broken down or is this just a couple of outlying results for the hammers? Yeah, this is one that I can't quite understand. Um, I, I mean, I said West Ham could go winless in their first seven mm-hmm. um, and they've proven me wrong, you know, already. Um, one thing I want to point out is I think that these three players having scored is significant because these are three players that you want to see yeah. contributing. Um, Pablo Fornals was pipped for a, you know, a big move um, back when he was still at Villarreal. And so for West Ham to get him, it was thought of, I think as a coup for them, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it helps when you are based in London and kind of have that pulling power. But um, so he gets on the score sheet, Jared Bowen, a player that, is very talented, but f- I don't know what it was. I have to like go back and look, but there were just like a lot of question marks around him and not a lot of teams interested necessarily. I don't know why that would be, I'm assuming off pitch things, but West Ham get him and he's been a terror. <laughs> like yeah. he's had a very good start to the season. He gave Arsenal fits. Um, and then uh, wolves as well. Yeah. <laughs> wolves as well. Right. And then, and then Lester. And so, so he's been very good. And then Mikel Antonio, I mean, it's always hard when you're trying to, you know, give that same production that Marco Nautovic had um, for West Ham. And so, so yeah, um, it's a, it's a great result for them. Um, we'll see if it continues because a lot of people had them pipped for possible relegation. Um, and yeah, Leicester just have to bounce back from this one. It's, it's a, a wild result because it's deserved. Like that's, that's what is, is so crazy because, this West Ham team under David Moyes, like 
they haven't done a ton of business. They haven't like brought in really any any like key players um, in terms of uh, you know anyone who started in this game. Um, their lineup is essentially the same thing that they trotted out last year. Jared Bowen's mm-hmm. just been more integrated into the team, and Pablo Fornals is healthy, which I think is a very sure. a very uh, big. A, a big change for them because last year he had his injury problems. So if he can stay healthy, that's, that's big for them. But um, they have, I mean, I think what this result highlights for me is the fact that like all of the top five leagues right now, the premier league is not going to be quite as straightforward. I think we kind of predicted a lot of the leagues would be kind of straightforward throughout the season. Mm-hmm. This this season is proving to be quite unpredictable. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh and so I think it just kind of highlights the quality up and down the league and that on a given week like we could see similarly shocking results like because if you if you showed this to me as a 3-0 Leicester went like if you flip this around this would have been like oh that's routine for the foxes. Um but the manner in which West Ham did this was not like oh they you know scored from their three shots on target they dominated this game like uh, despite the fact they didn't have the ball yeah they only had like 30 percent of the ball but like (laughs) a ton of chances which i guess is tactically like yeah perfect like (laughs) well and and maybe maybe this starts a a larger uh conversation but we've talked a lot this season about teams having like getting beaten having less of the ball and in all of these, well in, in the, the Liverpool game and this, this West Ham result as well, the team with much less of the ball obviously did most of the scoring if, you know, or all of the scoring in the case of West Ham. And do you think that there's maybe a shift happening in European football in terms of, I mean, we've seen kind of the era of, Tiki Taka and then this Gagan pressing where it's kind of a vertical Tiki Taka where it's a little more maybe faster paced, but it still is possession reliant. Are we seeing a, a sh- another shift tactically to where the counterattacking teams are now really picking apart these these more possession oriented teams? Or is it just a couple teams getting it right? Like, is it a or is it a shift? No, I think it is a shift. I think it's just a little bit more pronounced in this season because I just have questions over everyone's fitness given everything that's been happening with the mm-hmm. pandemic. But no, I think it's a shift that's been well underway. Everyone presses now. Everyone presses. And if you're not pressing, you're probably getting beat handily <laughs> a lot. Um, so everyone presses and everyone... Uh, athleticism is at the top of uh, I think everyone's priorities now when they're recruiting and, and looking to build teams. I mean, it's so, so important now. That's why, you know, when people try to compare some of these great sides to sides of, you know, the nineties and, and prior, it's like such a t- hard comparison to make, at least to me, because I don't think the game and athletes back then were anything like how they are now. The game is so much about pace yeah, um, and athleticism and stamina. And so, and, I mean, these players, the, the fixtures, the fixture list for most of these players at the, at the very highest level is brutal. Yeah. So, but I mean, you know, despite it though, they're still, 
many of these clubs are just really dedicated to pressing. And so, yeah, no, it is a shift. And I think that, I mean, I think Leicester, one of these sides though, that, that sometimes just allow themselves to be, to be beaten, even though they probably shouldn't have been, I don't know if that's a, um, a Brendan Rogers thing or just like the personnel. I mean, I think they're a pretty well-built side, but I mean, you'd probably know more about that from the Rogers perspective, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, good for West Ham. I mean, I, I, I personally, I don't have anything against West Ham. I wouldn't want to see them go down cause they just feel like a, a Premier League club, but sure. it just feels like they've been so mismanaged in these last couple of years that it, it feels inevitable, but I guess the, they just, the qualities just keep showing through, I guess. But, uh, you, you know, we'll see it's, it's still early days. So we'll have to see how that goes for them. Yeah. Well, and speaking of it being early days, uh, I think we'd be remiss as much as it pains me to talk about the team top of the table early days. Uh, it's <laughs> Everton, the other Liverpool club, um, who after a four, two win against Brighton are still top, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scores again. Uh, and after his opener was canceled out by Neil Mope, Yeri Mina scored in first half stoppage time and James Rodriguez added a couple before Yves Basuma added an absolute stunner in, uh, stoppage time at the end of the game, uh, to make it for two. Mika, I mean, we'll just start generally. What do you make? Like we, I think we're into week three of our Everton, the real deal, Um, and we've seen a couple of big teams struggle with, with Brighton and struggle Mm -hmm. to put them away. Everton fairly comfortable in the sense that they, you know, they had the game kind of locked up after that fourth in the 70th minute. Um, so the blue, the blue side of Merseyside, uh, what are we, what are we looking at right now? Again, I, I will stick to kind of what I've been saying is that I think the intention is very much real. Yeah. to challenge for, you know, maybe the Europa League place or what have you. Um, I mean, one thing that I admire about Carlo Ancelotti as, as a manager is that there are so many managers nowadays that are kind of put on a pedestal because they've got this identifiable philosophy. Um, sure. Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Marcelo Bielsa, you, you know, the like. Carlo Ancelotti isn't really like that. I mean, he's one of those managers that, you know, great man manager and someone who is, is okay with working with what he has and making it work. Um, And I think he's doing that here at Everton. I mean, to be fair, they have, I think they've supported him pretty well in in the transfer market and they've bought, they bought some really good pieces, namely Hamas Rodriguez, of course. Um, But I think he's having they're I think they're playing greater than some of their parts because of Carlo Ancelotti. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I think the intention's real, but we'll have to see. I mean, I think the Merseyside Derby's next, right? So I could see them getting a humbling after what just happened to Liverpool because they'll they'll want to beat them and, and, and show who's really still, you know, <laughs> in charge on Merseyside. So, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, Dominic Carver-Lewin is scoring for fun. James Rodriguez is... is making an impact every week. But again, I, I just don't trust Everton's depth. Um, I think one or two injuries and the things can be derailed pretty quickly because the what's on the bench is just not anywhere near close to how good the starting 11 are. 
Yeah, I except I think, for Pickford. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just that's about, another thing. So yeah, I so I think this game. I think this game. Obviously, I I think we saw kind of exactly what this edition of Everton is in that they are a very sharp attacking side. Um, they have a lo- they have loads of talent uh, in terms of. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, it, I think we can say now beyond a reasonable doubt that he is the real deal. Like he is a, yeah. a legitimate yeah. striker. Um, he, the header that he scored, like we were joking about Ronaldo's hang time on the header against Roma. Um, right. I, I think a couple weeks ago, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin does a similar thing in this case. So, and it was almost reminiscent of like Zlatan, like he had the mm. man bun, he had the like he had that that hang time as well in the air. He was just like he's a presence. <laughs> um so yeah, I think I think it's um it's a little shocking to say about an Everton striker because they haven't really had like a, a legitimate number nine um since I can remember. Um so the fact they have an established goal scorer and and the kind of the pressures off Richarlison a little bit because I I don't think he's that prolific. Um, I really don't think he thrived as being their number nine, but I think he'll thrive in a situation where he has a number nine to play off of. Um, sure. And we're kind of seeing that. And Hamas as well um, is, is obviously enjoying linking up. Um, the question marks remain, obviously, over Jordan Pickford. And I think, I mean, the first goal is, is, is almost comical in terms of the, the fumble. It's a soft catch. It should be very routine and he just spills it. Do you think, do you think that Jordan Pickford is going through this moment of kind of crisis similar to what we saw around Keppa or like Loris Karius, where it's just like a complete confidence thing. And now that there's question marks, he's kind of crumbling under this like pressure and expectation. Um, or is this just kind of his, uh, I guess his England goodwill as the number one, is it just like running dry and maybe things <laughs> that we were overlooking before at kind of collectively in terms of rating him, do you think they're now being kind of brought into focus? Well, the fact that he seems to be unquestionably England's number one is odd um <laughs> i think dean henderson nick pope and 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 others have proven that they should at least get a look um but actually i would i would actually say that uh, pickford's situation is unlike keppa's and and Carius's in that i think he's actually overconfident and that's why he makes these mistakes because i think <laughs> he's honestly i think he's so he, I really think that he rates himself extremely highly. And I think what can be, what should be routine. He sometimes tries to like do the most as the youth say. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, what ends up being a routine catch is, is a fumble and a mistake and you're costing your team. And that's what I think his issue is. I, I don't think he lacks confidence at all. I mean, if these things continue, then, then maybe that, that is, you know, that becomes a question, but he's always struck me as someone very, very convinced of their own ability. And he, you know, not a bad shot stopper by any means. He's very good at that, like flat long ball when he's distributing. And, um, you know, he's not a bad player, but it's just like, I, I don't, 
that's one of like you said a big question mark for Everton is is how sustainable is this form when when your number one is is doing you know undoing a lot of your good work <laughs> yeah i think i think there's the way that Everton have been playing, I think there's probably a result not dissimilar to what Liverpool and United experienced in, in terms of, I think they will be on the end of, of kind of a, a kicking. Um, and it's, you know, not really highlighting their lack of quality, but just highlighting the fact that everyone is, you know, everyone suffers at some point from, um, I guess, bad luck, uh, or something along those lines. So I think, I think we'll see Everton kind of humbled at some point, as you said, um, hopefully it comes in the Merseyside Derby, uh, selfishly, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, the last thing I'll say about this game is that Brighton are still to me, one of the most fascinating sides to watch in the premier league. And like, now that I'm watching it more broadly, I guess, in the sense that I'm like paying more attention to the fringes, uh, for yeah. this podcast, they, complete 618 passes in this game which is like barcelona level like <laughs> like tiki taka they actually yeah. outpossess everton as well which which i found somewhat odd given the quality that that everton have um i think so this is this is going to be somewhat liverpool focused but Rian Brewster signed for Sheffield United earlier this week, a Liverpool youth striker who was banging in goals for Swansea uh, on loan in the championship last season, uh, joined Sheffield United, which I think it's a good signing for both the player and the club. They need a more, they need a more established scorer and he needs premier league uh, like experience just for his development as a young, a young English player. I genuinely think that with with a striker who is not as crazy as Neil Mope, like if they had just a kind of pure number nine who knew where the goal was and was consistent, I genuinely think this Brighton team would score like for fun. I, like I I think their buildup is amazing. Yeah. But the guys up top, I mean, Connolly is like, uh, I think he's promising. Maupe is like brilliant in moments, but not generally consistent um, and and seems to just feed purely off of hatred. Um, <laughs> and Trossard is another one that's like flat, like flashes of brilliance, but not necessarily consistently great as a finisher. Um, and I, I just think like in terms of their chance creation, if they could get it to the feet of someone who is just knows where the goal is, they could have, I, I think they could create, like they generate genuinely good chances and they just don't finish them. Um, so I think they'll, you know, I think they'll stay up, but I think if they could have added someone like a Rian Brewster, who is just kind of this poacher, um, who just seems to finish off or like, you know, a, a Danny Ings type who is just like scores kind of the shit goals. Like that's kind of the, <laughs> that's kind of the guy they need because they score a lot of pretty goals. Um, and Eves Basuma, I think honestly had one of the goals of the weekend for me in terms of, uh, his strike on the volley was just, was just beautiful. But, um, that's my shout is I think, I think Brighton plays some beautiful stuff. Um, and so they're fascinating to watch for that reason, but they're going to lose a lot because 
a more pragmatic team like this Everton that have a deadly number nine in Calvert Lewin. And then a guy like Hamas Rodriguez popping up at the back post, you're, you're going to concede um, in those situations. So um, Brighton, another kind of hard luck, I guess, you know, yeah. sort of sort of loss because they probably didn't deserve to get um, beat so handily. But um, but yeah, the blue side, the blue side of Merseyside marches on and uh, their win their uh, or I guess undefeated start to the season. Um continues uh so we'll we'll see we'll see where it goes in the merseyside derby coming up who's uh who's at home for that one um i will have to it is at goodison it's at goodison okay so i don't know whether that favors (laughs) everton (laughs) or liverpool i'm not sure we shall see that i think liverpool bounce back in that one to be fair We'll see if it's a uh, re- return to earth for uh, for Everton or if uh, Liverpool's winless run goes on. Did they turn it into a streak? I don't know. But uh, That's such a weird sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but we we've got tons more to talk about. We've got uh, just big games in Italy, France and uh, Spain. And then our songs of the season uh, playlist additions at the end of the show as well but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to get into all of that stay tuned welcome back to hardcore football uh we go to italy next and mika like the most compelling game of the weekend was going to be Juve Napoli in Torino, in Torino in the Allianz Stadium, and uh, the game didn't take place. Napoli, uh, with some positive coronavirus tests, they did not travel. Juve was at the stadium ready for the game. The game doesn't happen, and now we're in this standoff between the FA, Juve, and Napoli, where they're trying to decide whether this is going to count as a forfeit or whether the match will be rescheduled. I mean, has there been a more Italian response, I guess, or <laughs> more <laughs> Italian more Italian situation uh, than this potential legal battle mm. between two of the top sides in Syria? It's bizarre. Um, Yeah, I mean, selfishly and from a footballing point of view, I was really looking forward to this fixture because, you know, we saw Napoli smash Genoa. uh, I think it was 6-0. And, you know, Juve have looked pretty open under Andrea Pirlo. So I was really, you know, intrigued by this one. And and it wasn't to be because, you know, the company... uh, or Campania health authorities told Napoli, you know, you shouldn't travel because two of their first team players, I believe first team players tested positive for coronavirus after a, mm-hmm. a pretty big outbreak at Genoa who they last played. Um, but it seems like the Italian FA was following UEFA's rules, which says if you've got 13 outfield players and a goalkeeper, you can play. Um, so, you know, Juventus knew well in advance that Napoli weren't going to make it. (laughs) And they still went through the whole like facade of the team bus pulling up, like them coming into the stadium, press conferences, (laughs) you know, on TV, it said waiting for the away team to like arrive. And, you know, 
from from a from a purely like clinical legal perspective, I can see why Juventus went through this like charade because it's like <laughs> you don't want to hurt yourself because you know if they don't show up, it should be a three nil forfeit right win for Juventus. But on the other hand, like this is like these are unprecedented times. I hate like saying that old like cliche at this point, but sure. like I just was hoping there would be a little bit more like solidarity between the two clubs it just feels like Juventus really I don't know I don't know what their intentions were again I think they were just trying to protect their interests which fair enough but surely there was some way this could have been um you know you know solved beforehand um I did read something I don't know how accurate it is that that each Italian team's only allowed one rescheduling so it's I don't know how true that is but I mean I can see now if that is true why these why Napoli was saying well we're not trying to like postpone we're just listening to the health authorities and you know right just very unfortunate um obviously I hope that the the players who tested positive are are feeling well and and all that but yeah um a weird one and, and for sure going to be a legal battle. If, if Napoli are, are docked for this, if they, they've had a really great start to the season, that would just be the most like devastating thing, honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in this article I, I've read, according to, to sky sport Italia, um, the decision as to whether to award Juventus a forfeit will be taken on Tuesday. So <laughs> the match obviously is supposed to take place the, today, Sunday, um, and the fact that it's not an immediate decision, I think may that just about like sums up the fact that it's completely unclear and could be, there could be potential legal ramifications because if it were cut and dry and they had, you know, Hey, these are the rules and this is like what we're, what we're undertaking, then the decision to award the forfeit win to Juventus would be very straightforward. It would, it would have already been made. Um, so the fact that they're going to take a day and think about it and announce it on Tuesday tells me that I think this game is going to get rescheduled um, mm-hmm. because apparently the sky quoted a lawyer for Napoli, Mattia Grassani, um, who basically said that N- Napoli had been communicating uh, with Juve on Saturday between four and six in the evening um, that, Hey, this is what we've been told by local health authorities and we're not going to travel. So the fact that Juve did go through the motions of preparing for the match does tell me that they were trying to support their interests, as you said, and like make right. sure that they weren't kind of giving away uh, a chance at a forfeit. Um, but I think Napoli is, we know that we know that De Laurentiis is not going to let go of these three points by you know easily uh, or go down without a fight. So yeah, I think they would drag this out in court and make it as painful as possible um, if uh, the FA sure. did decide uh, against them. But I guess we'll see. I think it. I think it gets rescheduled. But I don't know why the FA wouldn't be interested in rescheduling it to begin with because you know if you could postpone even slightly and make it to where maybe Northern Italy becomes the situation in Northern Italy, maybe like stabilizes a little bit and fans could potentially attend a match like that. This is, I mean, this is a massive match 
for in sure. Syria, uh, sure to attract a lot of eyeballs and and potential uh, attendance. So I'm not sure why they wouldn't want this match to take place rather than just saying, oh, it's a forfeit um, unless, you know, there were uh, other motivations <laughs> to give Juve <laughs> extra yeah. points. But yeah, uh, you know, the another aspect of this that I hadn't thought of is like, how are AS Roman going to feel when if if Napoli's forfeit does not happen? Because they were awarded a three 0 loss for their administrative error, which is That's like, right. which is a complete joke compared to coronavirus outbreaks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Italy gonna Italy. Yeah. Um, like my dad is 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 from my dad's family is from uh, Sicily. So I mean, I, I love Italian people and culture and the football, of course. But like, <laughs> just that's just like their culture. Like it's just insane. Like <laughs> anything that can go wrong will. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just can't help but like feel like again, like I feel like some solidarity should have been shown. I mean, uh, you know, there, there's a piece uh, that came out on ESPN about it. And Agnelli was quoted at Andrea Agnelli, the Juventus president was quoted as saying, De Laurentiis sent me a message asking for the game to be postponed. And I replied that as always, Juve will follow the rules. As if always. We don't, yeah, which <laughs> false. <laughs> if we don't, we are failing as citizens rather than sportsmen. So it, to me, that almost reads like, hey, like, you know, can we postpone the game? A couple of our players have coronavirus and them just being like, well, we're going to follow the rules, <laughs> which is like right. the rules are you have to show up to the match. Like, so they're, you know, just watching the team bus come into a match that they know their opponent is not going to be at just felt so farcical. I mean, like again, and you know, the clinical side of me gets it, but like the human side of me is like, damn, that's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, yeah. it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the whole situation plays out. I'm sure we haven't heard the last of it and whatever the FIGC like announces uh, on, on Tuesday, it's going to be, it's going to be a mess. Like it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. So, um, speaking of, I mean, Sicily, uh, one of the islands, uh, that participates obviously Mm -hmm. in, uh, in Italian football, but Sardinia also, (laughs) also takes part and Galliari, uh, took on Atalanta, the, the, the hottest attacking team in, in maybe Europe at the moment. Um, and Atalanta, uh, fired themselves top with a five, two win against the Sardinians. Um, Atalanta, like they showed what they can do, obviously in the champions league last season to a broader European audience. Mm -hmm. Does, does this Atalanta team have what it takes to hang with the big boys of Syria uh, and kind of force themselves into that conversation at the top of the table? I, I think they do. I mean, they just blow the brakes off people. They've scored a minimum of four goals in each of their three matches this season. So, I mean, they're just right where they left off. Um, it's, I mean, Gasparin is just doing something amazing there. And and um, I'm really excited to see both what they do in the, in the league this season and, and of course, in the Champions League. And they've drawn with Liverpool, if I'm not mistaken. So that's going to be that's probably the best group, honestly, for the neutral, <laughs> um, just goals galore. So yeah, I mean, if, if Gasparini can keep these players 
you know, focused and, and not get complacent with, with, you know, his message, I think, yeah, I think they can finish in the Champions League places again and maybe even challenge. I, I love kind of the mix of players that Atalanta are making effective. Um, I guess there's a lot of players in the, in their lineup, like Luis Muriel comes to, comes to mind because Mm. he was, his name was tossed around for years when he was at Udinese, like, and he was, you know, bandied about as like potentially making a move to a big English club, all this stuff. And then, uh, he's, he seems like he's finally kind of found a home at, 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 Atalanta just, you know, making this, uh, leading the line. Um, but they have, I mean, Mario Pasolic, like as well, Chelsea, Chelsea lone army, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he is now permanently at Atalanta. Is that, he is. yeah. So yeah. I think that is so positive to, to see a player, kind of out from under the thumb of, of (laughs) Abramovich and the, and the lone army. Um, and, and freely his goal to me was the pick of the bunch in terms of the move, um, from Atalanta, just like showcasing how dangerous they are. Um, and even against the low block that, that Cagliari was employing with new signing Diego Godin, who added a goal, uh, Diego Godin popping up in Sardinia, kind of one of the more jarring for all of the strange things we've seen in football in 2020, seeing Diego Godin, like not in Atleti red and white. It, there was something kind of weird about it. Wait, what? I didn't even know he was at Cagliari. <laughs> when did he move? Is it alone? I I I honestly don't know. Uh, but what when I saw hell? him score in this game, uh, it was very it was very jarring and strange. I was like, wait, like the De- Diego Godin, like like the Uruguayan. <laughs> He's yeah, like one of the best defenders of all time in his like. Wow, I missed that completely. I'm, I'm so happy hearing about this. <laughs> I am. First- I'm just <laughs> hearing about this. Like <laughs> I'm literally just. Uh, didn't um, didn't Reginald and spend some time at Cagliari too? Yeah, last season before. Yeah, so now Cagliari he's back just, at Inter. Yeah, yeah, they're just happy to take Inter's unwanted. I guess the castoffs. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Okay, mind blown. I did not. That's a transfer that completely eluded me. I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean. God, where, where do I even go from here? I'm just Simeone. <laughs> I'm Simeone's uh, son leads the line for Cagliari, Giovanni yeah. Simeone, and he looks just like Cholo. So that's that's fun. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, they they weren't able to to do anything here. No. Speaking of no, going back to kind of the personnel at Atalanta, I Papa Gomez is one of my favorite footballers. He is like. And I'm not saying they're on the same level at all, but like he he reminds me of like a gritty like street footballer Messi. <laughs> like, like if just, Messi like if Messi like grew up in like a rough home. <laughs> yeah, like if Messi grew up on in like you know one of the like rougher neighborhoods in Buenos Aires or something. Yeah. <laughs> like I just. I love Alejandro Gomez and he loves the club. I love seeing players that are just at these like Pascalic, like Luis Muriel, like Papa Gomez, who just have found a place in Atalanta. 
Um, and you know, they're not a huge club by any means and they have a very small budget, which maybe I'm, I'm assuming has gotten a significant boost from all the, the European football they've been able to play. But yeah, but yeah, this is just a really, really fun side. I think this is one that, that any neutral can, can enjoy honestly. And, and maybe they can be part of that Serie A revival, if you will, even though they're not one of the traditional big sides. Yeah, I I think the thing that's great about them is they kind of sure they kind of like throw off the normal. I think we talked last time about we joked about like the end of Calcio and like all these, but mm-hmm. but they kind of uh, you know they they don't play in a traditionally like successful Italian way. They play a very attacking style. Like they they kind of throw caution to the wind, um, and for Gasparini to kind of. I think take on this almost like a reinvention um, like of his, of his like style. I, I think, you know, he spent so much time in kind of the middle of the pack at like Genoa. He was at Palermo for a very short amount of time, but he just As like most Palermo managers yeah. are, <laughs> <laughs> but since he's been at Atalanta, he's just, I mean, he's, he's been, he's made this team into one, a, a European power in Italy um, and entertaining to a broader, a broader audience. Um, so I think huge credit has to go to him um, because I think it would have been easy to kind of middle, you know, just kind of like middle, middle of the pack, like, Hey, I'm avoiding, I'm keeping them up. And you know, that's right. That's good enough. Um, but he's, he's, brought this team into, into new heights and, uh, and, and definitely, um, I think for a lot of these players, given them a system and a, and a style and a club that they are all embracing and, and playing for each week and, uh, a good result, um, this weekend against Cagliari, um, who, you know, I, they're not world beaters by any stretch, but they're not, they're not pushovers like, and with, right. <laughs> with Godin as well, um, scoring five goals, that's, uh, quite the feat. So, um, Absolutely. yeah, I, I think it's good to see that Atalanta seem to be picking up where they left off last season. For sure. Yeah, definitely one for, for, for the neutral to watch the, we spoke last week about not knowing what to think about Inter Milan and they went into a big test this weekend against Lazio um, who challenged for the title towards the, you know, it, I guess kind of faded towards the end of last season, but um, testing Inter's uh, title credentials. um, We have a really weird match uh, in which Inter, did we see kind of the, downside to this inter squad of not having maybe the, they have tons of quality obviously throughout the squad, but maybe having one of those matches against another quality team where they're just not really able to assert themselves maybe to the level that they'd expect. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And also they are conceding more goals than you would expect. Um, you know, given the personnel they have, I mean, they've got Stefan De Vrij back there, Milan Skriniar, who comes back into the side after some transfer speculation. I guess Spurs were interested, but that seems to have fallen through. And then, of course, Bastoni, the young guy. But, yeah, I mean, they're just giving up a lot. I mean, this one they only concede one, but, 
I don't know. You would think that their quality over over Lazio would have seen them through. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And then they got like, uh, you know, I think that uh, it was a pretty. I, I didn't get to watch most of this match, but yeah. from the looks of it, it was a very uh, testy one. I mean, Chiro Immobile gets sent off. Yeah. Uh, Inter earn what four yellow cards? So I mean, maybe that's <laughs> that's that side of that game is something that Inter are not maybe too used to is is that physical battle. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. The, and I think their next fixture is is the Derby de, de la Madonina. So. Um, <laughs> they're going to want to bounce back for sure. Ace Milan had a really good, good weekend. So yeah. Um, for once it looks like the red side of Milan is kind of getting into this one in a, in better shape. So yeah. AC Milan with a three, no win over Spezia. Um, I mean, totally dominated the match as I guess you'd expect against a, a newly promoted right. side as well. But, um, but yeah, definitely coming into this one into into the derby with uh with a little more confidence maybe than their than their uh than their rivals. Um but yeah, Sergey Milinkovic Savic, who is probably the player who I'm most surprised hasn't moved from Lazio yet, because uh, he's been linked maybe with so many teams, but I guess the price yeah. maybe uh scaring some teams off, uh, as you said, Immobile sent off as was Stefano Sensi, uh, who came on as a sub Jeez. for Inter just to be sent off. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, both red cards interesting in that they were not, uh, they were for Martial style stuff. Like they were for like hands to the face or in Immobile's case, he's actually pushed over by Arturo Vidal. And as mm. he fell his, he brought his foot up, to like kick Vidal and Vidal oh, so went like down a, very a human easily. Sun type uh, kick out. Yeah. Real petulant. Style. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It was kind of just <laughs> shithousery all around. Uh, but uh, yeah, very Italian in the way that it played out. I think <laughs> um, talking about Atalanta is like the anti Calcio. This was like firmly Calcio. This is like Gennaro Gattuso's <laughs> fingerprints all over it. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting uh, match towards the top of the table um, ends in a one, one draw between uh, in, in the capital. Um, but another, there were a couple of a more interesting games as we go up North to, to France. Now Liga Un. Um the top of the table up there is looking very unfamiliar. I think to many, to many people who have followed, obviously uh Liga Un in recent seasons, PSG have been towards the top, but the two teams now level at the top um, after Stad Rene's two, uh, two draw with, with Reem uh, and uh, Lille's victory over Strasbourg. Um, they're now level on 14 points and level at the top of the table, um, creating a little bit of distance between, uh, between the established powers, I guess. Um, Lille and Stad Rene, are they, do we see them able to stick around towards the top of the table and at least maybe hang out in the champions league places? Hang out in the Champions League places, yes. I think that is on for both of these sides. Um, Stadrone is scoring a bunch of goals. Again, they've got that generational talent in midfield. Yeah. Um, and then Lille are spreading the goals out. I mean, Sanchez, uh, Zeki Celik, 
Bamba, Ikone, like all, all of them are capable of scoring. And Jonathan David, I don't think he's gotten off the mark yet, but um, he looks like a a pretty good replacement for Victor Ozeman. So, um, you know, if Christophe Gaultier can get him firing too, then I see no reason why why Leo won't stick around in those top places too. PSG already have two losses, so yeah. that's a <laughs> bit odd. Um, I mean, do we think do we think Thomas Tuchel is in in any like trouble? I d- I do, but yeah. I I think I think any of those teams um, that are funded in the way that they are, I think it can be very arbitrary when they decide to make uh, managerial changes. Mm. I think in the case of Thomas Tuchel, I think um, you know he's obviously when he was brought in, it was off the back of his time at Dortmund. And I think it was kind of like, Hey, let's bring in a younger manager and, and see if he can kind of give an identity to this team. I don't think it's there yet. Like, I don't think he's been able to do that. So I think, I think he is uh, in a little bit of a a hot seat right now. Um, I don't think, I, I mean, I think obviously he, they're still favorites to win the league and they're still like, very much, you know, <laughs> like in uh, that conversation. But I think the disappointment in the Champions League has affected the squad. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that he's been able to kind of ever really get a handle on the egos around that team and the like different man management challenges um, that are presented. So I don't know. They could, if I, they may be more opportunistic in terms of if they feel like the right manager is available and wants right. to come, then maybe they sack Tuchel and just immediately hire who they want. Um, and maybe they haven't seen the right candidate yet, or maybe the right I person think, isn't available, but I, I think Mauricio Pochettino is a, a good candidate for the PSG job too. Um, former PSG player, Um, I think he would command respect in that dressing room and in give an identity to the squad. And and I think that he is looking for a project where they're going to allow him to really realize his sporting vision in a way that Tottenham Hotspur didn't let him do towards the end. So maybe that's a shout. If, I mean, if United let that slip through their fingers, they're idiots. (laughs) We shall see. Um, But yeah, yeah, league one, league one is, is uh, league on is fascinating this, this year for sure. It really is. And I mean, if, uh, if you're looking for one of the goals of the weekend, uh, Zeki Celik's opener for Lille against Strasbourg, just an absolute banger from distance. (laughs) Um, And uh, you'll also, I think <laughs> along with me feel a moment of cognitive dissonance when you see Renato Sanchez score for Lille. Cause uh, he's, he's been just fantastic. He's, he's so good for them. <laughs> and he's been obviously all over the place uh, ever since his, his kind of breakout performance at the euros for Portugal. So um, mm-hmm. it's been so up and down since then, but yeah, he's been, he's been great for them and, and gets a goal in this one as well. Um, so Lille, just one of those fun teams. Um, and, uh, and, and Lille also have a derby coming up. So next weekend is just going to be lit too, because yeah. there's just a bunch <laughs> of derbies. They've got the, the derby du Nord against uh, RC Lens next weekend. So And Lens, uh, 
a shout for for loss as well as they they have been hovering up in the upper reaches of the league and table as uh despite the fact that they've been kind of a yo-yo club uh in mm. in recent recent times uh between Liga Un and De um but they've uh they've made a really bright start to the season um and and Absolutely. look a, look a decent side as well so that uh that particular derby should be should be a lot of fun and uh we'll see how those uh <laughs> those play out uh hopefully on the next uh episode but before we go to another break there's one more small French fixture to talk about and that is the Choc de Olympique, uh, the <laughs> Lyon v Marseille. Uh, this, <laughs> this is maybe the most Dimitri Payet thing that's ever happened uh, in that Dimitri Payet opens the scoring in the 16th minute with a brilliant goal from the edge of the area. And three minutes later, he sent off for a terrible challenge <laughs> at the other end. Uh, just boot studs straight to the ankle. Um, no, just nowhere near the ball. Uh, studs up, just stamped straight on the ankle of uh, the Leon player. And so <laughs> Dimitri Paya goal in the 16th. Sent off in the 19th, uh, and Leon <laughs> able to equalize through a Hossamauer penalty. Uh, as we spoke about, he does play uh, in this one. And Leon, I think overall unlucky not to win this one. 24 <laughs> shots. Uh, sure. The sending off certainly hurt Marseille, but um, we've spoke about Marseille as, you know, maybe starting a a journey back towards the top they've been much better under Andre Villas-Boas uh in recent in recent uh or you know especially towards the end of last season Lyon made that run in the Champions League but were pretty poor in in domestic play last season but kind of a neutral result like it it is at the end of the day it is 1-1 and I mean, does this result change how you feel about either of these teams? Are Marseille in the ascendancy or are Lyon able to turn around their domestic fortunes? Or are they both kind of doomed to keep this kind of middling uh, performance that plays out through this 1-1? You know, for Marseille, I, I don't think it spells too much trouble. Like you like you mentioned, I think Adrivish Bosch has done a really good job um, just quietly going about his business in the south of France. Rudy Garcia, on the other hand, um, to me, really shocking team selection. I mean, <laughs> why is Memphis Depay on the bench? Um, you know, Memphis Depay is on the bench, Moussa Dembele. Uh, it was it was just odd. I I don't know. New boy Lucas Paqueta is also. I I just I don't know. Um, and, and I'm not gonna lie. I had an eye on this one just to see what was going on with Usamawa <laughs> to see if he would play because obviously we've been very thirsty for him at the Emirates. Um, but that looks like that is not gonna happen. So yeah, I mean Marseille. I think that I think they're just kind of limited by the personnel. Um, sure. I think I think Dimitri Payet is still relied on quite a bit. I'm I've never been really convinced by Dario Benedetto mm-hmm. leading the line. Um, you know, and then they of course they had their brief uh, fling with Balotelli, and um, you know that's Balotelli. <laughs> that's how that goes. Um, 
so yeah, Leon, they're they're the one that I think is a little bit weird. I think I don't know that Rudy Garcia is the man for them long term. Um, but but you know, we'll see. I just am disappointed that Husamawa played in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think like looking at Leon's team, there's a few players where you're like, you should be taking advantage of the fact that they're still there. Uh Hasemauer mm. being being one of them. Memphis Depay definitely being the other one because I think most people thought he was moving in this transfer window. It hasn't materialized. Um, And now uh, Aulis has come out, uh, you know, the president has said that it's that both of the deals are off and, and there's no movement that's going to be made with either of those players. So the fact that a combi and Cornet start, you know, it kind of in lieu of Memphis Depay, um, seem to be indicative of the fact that he'd be leaving. Um, mm-hmm. And now that he's not like, it seems like maybe Rudy Garcia has like soured that relationship uh, to the point right. where, you know, <laughs> could we see like the Gareth Bale of the Netherlands where Depay just goes, <laughs> he just waits for another, for international duty and, and just doesn't give a shit about playing for Leon. What would his, uh, what would his flag say? Like, Holland rap. rap. I, was gonna, I was gonna say that. No, it's absolutely yeah. Holland rap game. Leon. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so on that note, uh, I think we're gonna head into another break. Uh, we'll talk La Liga, and then our uh, we'll add to our uh, sounds of the season playlist after this. Uh, so stay tuned. Welcome back to hardcore football. Uh, Mika, we go to La Liga and I think we start in a, a place close to your heart. Uh, well, Real Betis go to Valencia um, and a club in real trouble comes up against a club uh, kind of on the rise and uh, Real Betis with a professional 2-0 win um, over the the Catalonian club. Um what what did you make of of Betis and uh I think we talked about them being a little unlucky against Madrid last week this time they they get their just rewards yeah absolutely I mean it, it kind of just reverts to type at least early in early in this um reign for Pellegrini is is solid at the back um really I don't think I remember anything too threatening from Valencia um and and Joaquin at 39 years of age, just like running around like a 25 year old. I mean, he still he still has this burst of pace that I just don't understand how it's possible. Um, <laughs> so you know he creates, he scores and creates a lot for for the team. And, and Sergio Canales also gets on the score sheet, um, justifying his Spanish national team call up um, for this upcoming international break. So yeah, it was just a really good good bounce back win for for Real Betis and. Um, Valencia, I mean, I I just, I mean, as, as many know, over the summer, they basically just asset stripped and, and sold a lot of players. And I think the issue in this one was very much midfield. I mean, they had Daniel Vaz and Condobia in there who, you know, 
good players, but I, I don't see them splitting the lines and creating anything. Carlos Soler was on the bench. He has only trained once, I think. So, mm-hmm. you know, someone who kind of can create from wide wasn't available until later on in the match. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they just look a little bit disjointed. I think Javi Garcia just, he's got a tough job, honestly. Um, still still some promising players there like Gaia and, and Soler and um, the like, Maxi Gomez, but um, just I think it's going to be a season of transition for Valencia. Yeah, it and it it's kind of strange looking at their team as well because you see a bunch of names that you're like, yeah, good player, good player. Gonzalo Guedes, like, okay, yeah. Maxi Gomez, Kevin Gamero, little old, but like still solid, solid option up top. Condogbia, uh, like, had you know, obviously, um, a lot of, uh, triumphs, uh, at his previous club. Um, but I think it's kind of a juxtaposition, particularly in this game between a team Valencia who had a lot of, um, investment. They had a lot, uh, you know, they had a lot of talent. Um, as you said, they kind of, we're balancing the books, I think this past year. Um, and they've, they've certainly kind of, they've, they've just gone down a peg. Uh, meanwhile, Betty's run very, you know, very responsibly, I would say <laughs> by yeah. comparison. And they've built slowly over time. They've obviously been able to invest through some player sales and, and stuff like that to add pieces like Fakir, um, but also, you know, taking a piece like like one of the goal scorers in this one, Christian Teo, and, you know, he's a Barca cast off like he bounced around Europe for a while uh, trying to find a home. Uh, and it seems like he has at Betis uh, and then and then uh, Sergi Canales scoring in this one as well. Um they have, they just have a solid squad. And I think Pellegrini is exactly the right person to, to make it cohesive and, and make it in, you know, make sense, I guess, in, in the league. Whereas Gracia is kind of up against it, as you said, at Valencia, where he's got kind of the, he just hasn't found a way to make these dis- disparate pieces into a cohesive team. And uh, so matched up, particularly in this one, it's like, it almost shows it more in, in a more striking contrast because you see a team that has kind of had this plan and now has a manager at the helm who can manage that plan um, versus Valencia, who seemingly ever since they (laughs) hired Gary Neville (laughs) have just never (laughs) recovered um, from that, uh, that publicity stunt that they can't believe that actually happened. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I said Joaquin scored. I was wrong. He just felt like he did because he created so many chances. It was actually Teo. Right. Um, but, but Joaquin had that like bursting run yeah. that, uh, set, set one of those goals up. So yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Valencia just, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Because Javi Garcia doesn't have like the best track record with clubs in trouble. I mean, you know, at Watford, he was with Watford, right? When they were like yeah. dire, like absolutely uh shocking so uh it's an interesting appointment um and i i don't know i mean i i like valencia they're they're a big club a traditional club um i 
feel for their fans that their owners are just totally out of touch and treat the club like a plaything. And um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I mean, the, the, the owners allege that the focus is, is turning to the Academy and that's why they've, you know, let Danny Parejo and the light go, but we'll, we'll see if that actually, uh, you know, is true. Right. Um, we spoke last week gushingly about Atleti's uh, performance in the 6-0 against uh, um, Granada, but they come up against Villarreal, uh, a club who has been performing pretty well recently, and they played out to a, a nil-nil draw, a stalemate. Um, this was a little more familiar almost to Atleti fans uh, <laughs> with the way that they played last season. Do you think like this is just going to be a thing as they try to assert themselves more? Like, are they going to have these kind of stale performances uh, like kind of tossed in, especially against a team like Villarreal who has improved in, in their, uh, in their performance against the, the big boys? Yeah. You know, the thing with Atleti that I find a little bit frustrating sometimes, and this might sound like heresy to Cholo Simeone fans, but <laughs> sometimes I wish they would get away from the 4-4-2 a little bit. I think that by playing these two banks of four, you don't get to see, they don't get to make a lot out of Saul's late runs because mm -hmm. they, I mean, he ha he's tasked with a lot of this defensive responsibility too, and really he's quite clever going forward. Um, but at the same time, I think that Luis Suarez obviously brings a new dimension to this attack. I mean, just kind of like the angles, the passes that he was making and the options that he was giving and just, you know, giving the Villarreal defensive line something to think about that uh, an Alvaro Morata probably wouldn't, or even Diego Costa at this point. Um, I think that's still a, an excellent signing and one that I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll continue to score. It's just about managing minutes. But yeah, I just, overall, I wish that Atleti would maybe tinker with like a 4-3-3 from time to time, especially against teams they should be beating, which I think they should be beating Villarreal. Um, even though I I love Gerard Moreno, I think he's one of the most underrated strikers in Europe and he, he had some chances too. But um, yeah, Atleti probably should have, probably should have done something with this one. They, I, they definitely had more chances, so... Yeah, and not able to fashion a shot on target, which from 13, it almost That's seems statistically <laughs> impossible. <laughs> right. Um, you have to, like, try to do that yeah. <laughs> almost. So, yeah, they they certainly, I think there's, well, and it's interesting, too, with that 4-4-2, as you, as you talked about, uh, João Felix, that partnership, um, you know, is he best used like up top in a four, four, two, or is he more, you know, in an advanced like midfield role mm -hmm. and in a four, four, two, there really isn't room for that. So it's like you either play as a winger or a striker. Um, and if you're playing a midfield, you're an eight, like you have yeah. to go box to box. There's no, there's really no option. Um, you're either, well, you're either an eight or a six, uh, but there's no 10 in a four, four, two. So, right. <laughs> yeah. As a second striker, like maybe, um, but it is, it does present, I think an interesting challenge for Simeone now that he does have more attacking options. 
um, you know, how do you fit all of them into the squad? Uh, and, you know, Correa, Suarez, Costa, Jao Felix, Saul, like they all need to be in there, uh, you know, in theory, but a four, four, two, you can't fit all of them. Um, so it's a very interesting problem, I think for, uh, for, for Sholo to, uh, to take on, um, another draw from a, a top team in, in La Liga, uh, against one of the, the chasing pack, uh, Sevilla, uh, drew draws Barcelona at the camp. Now, um, Luke de Jong's eight minute opener for Sevilla canceled out by, uh, Coutinho's, uh, goal in the 10th minute. Um, Sevilla kind of the, the picture of efficiency in that, that de Jong effort in the eighth minute was their only shot on target of the game. And they <laughs> scored it, um, Barcelona with a little bit more of the ball as you'd expect at home. Um, Sevilla really kind of breaking up play a lot of fouls in this one. Um, but I think last week, obviously Barcelona absolutely, you know, they were kind of vintage Barcelona in that the game was over at halftime four nil win, like kind of easy peasy for, for, for the giant, the Catalan giants, this may be a return to reality against a, what is, I think we know to be a very tough, uh, Sevilla side to break down. Um, Barcelona, really not looking anything like the sharp attacking team they looked like last week. Yeah. And I think, you know, last week Ansu Fati was instrumental to, to the, that result this week, he played like a 17 year old, which is, you know, <laughs> not everything's going to come off. And I think it that's why it's so important that they manage this prodigy, quite frankly, um, well, because the, he's going to have these, I mean, he comes off and after about an hour because he just wasn't having, it wasn't his day. You know, this is a much tougher opponent with all due respect to Villarreal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think for Sevilla, this, I think they should be really happy with this result. It's, it's tough to go to the new camp and, and try to, to get something, um, yeah, I mean, arguably Barcelona probably should have should have won, but Sevilla had more chances, which again is <laughs> becoming a theme. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think I think this is a good result for for the uh, red half of Seville. And Ivan Rakitic uh, making his return uh, yes. shortly after departing Barcelona and and leaves with a point, so and one he can probably be happy with. He and his in-laws, who are all like hardcore Sevillistas, so he, he uh, I mean, he promised his father-in-law if he ever left Barcelona, it would be to go back to Sevilla. So he's done. He's made good on that. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we also saw it was a debut uh, for Serginho Dest, uh, the Dutch American who joined Barcelona last week. Um, he comes on, uh, obviously no huge moment or, uh, kind of, you know, seminal moment of his, of his debut, but it felt like a big moment for an American to be wearing the number two at Barcelona. That, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely (laughs) crazy. Um, I have to call him out a little bit though, because he gave an interview before, you know, when he joined and he said, I'm so something along the lines of, I'm so proud to be the first American to, you know, wear the Barca shirt. And it's like, 
put some respect on Conrad De La Fuente's name. <laughs> like, <laughs> he may, he also played for Barca first team this year. So yeah, um, I think Serginho may be a fantastic athlete, but maybe a little bit airheaded. <laughs> um, so, but no, yeah, it's great. It's, it's awesome to see. Um, I mean, I, dare I say the U S men's national team is in a golden generation. I'm, um, <laughs> Well, it's funny you brought up Conrad De La Fuente because they were on the bench together in this match. Um, and uh, <laughs> so like he gave that he gave that interview, uh, you know, like in front of the actual first American to play for Barcelona. So, yeah, it's just a weird one. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think it is. Uh, I, I think in terms, I don't know that we've ever seen uh, this volume of Americans uh, at top clubs throughout Europe. Um, I do hesitate, I guess, because I, the, if there's one thing that I'm very confident in, it's in the U S soccer federation's ability to fuck up a golden generation like this. Oh, for Um, sure. For sure. And to completely waste them. Um, So the fact that the keys to this golden generation are held by a manager who has like a, 30% 30% win percentage in MLS Greg Berhalter um, is that's scary uh, to me because um, they definitely don't have I just you know if we're talking about a guy like Thomas Tuchel having having trouble like managing uh, egos at PSG <laughs> think about all of these players returning from super clubs and having to compete for places in the men's national team with guys who play for like San Jose earthquakes. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's a, oh my God. <laughs> I remember, you know, in the, I guess, transition period, I think it was between, um, Oh God, what's it? Bruce arena yeah. and uh, Greg Berhalter. There was a shout of Julian Lopetegui yeah. joining the U S men's team. And, like American soccer media, like laughed at that. I'm like, excuse me. Like he's <laughs> bigger than our fucking nation. Like That would have been an insane, like coup for, oh, uh, in my opinion. For sure. I mean, I, again, I don't know why Julian Lopetegui is like so disrespected, but I thought yeah. that would have been fantastic. And I hope, <laughs> yeah, I hope that Craig Bohalter is, is not in charge of this really exciting group of, of, American talent, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> like you said, the U S soccer federation loves to just shit the bed with these kind of things. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, a decent, decent result for Sevilla in the end, uh, in, in Serginho's, uh, debut, a couple, a couple notes. We, we don't have the craziness out of Germany that we had like in recent weeks. Um, but a couple notes on the Bundesliga and I want to give you a chance to, to talk about your boys, Munchi Gladbach in a uh, in a a West German uh, derby, I, I would say against Köln, three uh, yes. one winners and uh, a, a maybe a rebound performance for for Gladbach. Uh, a couple of you know they've been solid to start the season, but a couple of stutters uh, in there, and now a, a pretty solid three one win for for the Fools. Yeah, no, uh, I think that's totally fair. The the season has got off to a kind of a slow start for for Munchen Gladbach. I mean, 
Of course, there were we were missing a couple of people that just either weren't fit or, or were coming back from injury. Um, but but Playa had a fantastic game. Um, Jonas Hoffman had a pair of assists, if I'm not mistaken. And I he's one of the players that I criticize a lot because he just he <laughs> he loses the ball a lot. But um, he's a great player. And Yogi Love called him up for Germany. So that's yeah. We we have more German internationals called up than Swiss internationals, which for Gladbach is weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's exciting. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think Gladbach is finally shaking off the rust. It's always good to get a win against Köln in the uh, Rhein Derby, at, especially at Rhein Energy Stadion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think Köln should be a little bit worried. I think Marcus Gistel is perhaps the third manager to maybe get the axe in the <laughs> Bundesliga. Um, because I, if I'm not mistaken, Colton haven't won a competitive match in like 13, 14 tries or something like that. And hopefully I'm not completely making that up, but, but yeah. Uh, their Pokal win against uh, Alt Glint, Alt Glink. Uh, was, <laughs> or maybe it was just league play then. But since, in like, the league, debating back to last season. In the league, their last win was yeah, their last win in the league was August twenty second against Union, uh, which would have been oh nope, that's a friendly. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's been a while. Um, yeah, yeah, and that includes like a six, one loss to Werder Bremen. So that, yeah, they are in a bad way at the moment. Um, I keep thinking Werder Bremen are too, but they keep beating like crappier sides, I guess. So <laughs> yeah, Werder yeah. Bremen able to get the win over Bielefeld, uh, Armenia, not able to, uh, yeah. get one over and maybe they've had a bright start. Armenia, a couple of good results, uh, but maybe the magic's running out already. Uh, <laughs> for uh for the newly promoted side but the the other big result obviously Bayern coming off of that loss against Hoffenheim another kind of crazy match uh for the team that we were crowning as you know like world champions just a couple weeks ago Bayern uh a four four three winners against Hertha today and were three times pegged back <laughs> ridiculous uh before finally winning Robert Lewandowski scores all four goals uh, for Bayern, as is tradition. Uh, Jon Cordoba, Mateus Cunha, and uh, Jessic Ngankum uh, scoring for Hertha. Uh, we know, obviously, that Bayern have this in them and have the ability. I mean, they could score four goals pretty much at any game that they play in. Um, but we saw a little bit of resilience uh, in this Bayern side, bouncing back from a loss and also responding to going down a couple of times. But Hertha really did start to show something in this game in terms of what they can offer against against a big side. And and uh, may, did we finally start to see kind of the Hertha that we should be seeing week in and week out that can score three goals against a good team? Yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely improved from when I last watched them play, which was against Eintracht. Um, I think Bruno Labbadia has done a, a good job, but it's about uh, finding some kind of consistency. I think Berlin, you know, Erta, they, I feel like they shoot themselves in the foot a lot. Um, you saw that here with the last minute uh, clear penalty on, <laughs> on Robert Lewandowski from, from Maxi Mittelstedt. So, yeah. Um, 
yeah, I, I think Hertha have, have some good pieces. I think they have a manager who, who can put these pieces together, but it's just about not beating themselves, um, you know, and, 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 and having that kind of mentality of, of a big club that, that belongs at, you know, in those upper reaches, not just middling, you know, in the, in the lower or middle, middle of the table. Um, so, so yeah, um, unlucky, <laughs> unlucky for, for the, but at the same time, not unlucky because Byron played well to keep coming back. And I think that's the, the sign of an elite squad, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, well, and Robert Lewandowski, like, you know, just continuing his insane form from last season. Um, He's, Maybe. He, my, this man said, you're not going to give me this Ballon d'Or. I'll just get the next one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, legitimately just he, I think his second goal in particular was just one of those where it, it's just the finish of, of a striker who has been doing it forever. Um, and it's just knows exactly where the goal is at all times. He's hitting the ball on the turn doesn't even need to look up like he knows where the corner is and he'll find it. Um, but a shout in this one for another American who, who, uh, who started for the Bundesliga giants. Uh, Chris Richards starts at right back for, uh, for Bayern Munich. Uh, he joined from FC Dallas's Academy a couple of years ago. He's been kind of in and around their reserve team for, uh, for a little bit, but straight into the first team in this one. And, uh, Hansi Flick just not scared at all about integrating youth into the first team. We've seen throughout the start of the season, he's uh, now introduced, you know, Xerxes. Uh, there was um, Singh as well. Sarpreet right? Singh, yeah. um, Jamal uh, Musiala has yep. scored in this Bundesliga season. So he is just absolutely committed to, to, to bringing Academy products through at a team that is obviously known as, you know, FC Hollywood for a reason. Um, they buy <laughs> a lot Chris of Richards had the, had an assist today, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he did. So yeah, just, uh, a very interesting approach, I think from a Bayern manager, but obviously, uh, they mentality wise, they fight back and they have that <laughs> world-class number nine up top to do the damage and, uh, bring them back into the game. So the Bundesliga, uh, I think maybe normalizing ever so slightly since, uh, a few crazy results last week, but, um, still very entertaining. And I will for say sure. for <laughs> watching with my Bayern fan sister, um, the emotions were felt by all in the room. Um, <laughs> Herta's Herta's third goal. She literally walked out of, she was like, I have to leave um, and walked <laughs> down the hallway of her own apartment. Uh, <laughs> like, and oh then obviously gosh. the penalty and uh, she, she celebrated quite wildly for that, but yeah, felt every, <laughs> every way, you know, crest and, and ebb or, or whatever of, of each wave of emotion in what was a, a very entertaining game for the neutral. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting in the league for Bayern, but they've already got a double. So I mean, as a Bayern fan, can't be too unhappy with that, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I mean at this point they're yeah, I mean the aim would be what, like six trophies this season. And so <laughs> right. yeah. like um, in a calendar year. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. 
Um, By the way, we have to shout out just on the American note, Gio Reyna getting a hat trick yes. of assists yes. against Augsburg, I think it was. Yeah. So Dortmund back to winning ways. Yeah, and a, and a young Dortmund side showing that uh, the entertaining side, I think, of what we yeah, it was against uh, oh no Freiburg they Freiburg they, yeah because Augsburg Augsburg they, played today they beat that. Augsburg beat Dortmund last weekend. Uh, yes, yes, yes. But yeah, Holland, a couple of goals, Emre Chan, and then Felix Passlack put the icing on the on the cake uh, in stoppage time for the four 0 win. But I think I think this is kind of like a return to normal for Dortmund overall. But as you said, I mean, Gio mm-hmm. Reyna really announcing himself uh, for this Dortmund side and. Um, yeah, it was just uh, fantastic to see that kind of quality, uh, and maybe it just highlight highlighting. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we'll be talking. We'll probably be talking in a few months about how Greg Berhalter's on the hot seat because everybody now knows how good all of these Americans are. So if you can't turn this into a decent men's national team, then uh, <laughs> then maybe not the man for the job. <laughs> <laughs> For real. I mean, really, I think that you could, I think we could set out a decent starting 11 right now. Like there's, there seems to be a piece, a decent piece for every position. Maybe center back is kind of still a little bit questionable, but sure. But yeah, I don't know. A, That's uh, for another day, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say a subject <laughs> for uh, another episode as, as uh, we'll see, but um, yeah, interesting, interesting things in Germany. And, and I think a little less crazy now that Dortmund back to back to winning ways. Um, but Mika, we've got our sounds of the season playlist uh, that we've been updating um, each episode with a, a couple of tracks uh, from our, uh, our heavy music, uh, <laughs> angry music, whatever background. Um, and so what tracks are you adding uh, this weekend? Yeah, so I have gone with uh, one older song, one definitely from the scene like Heyday, um, and that <laughs> one is uh, Bury Your Head by Seosin. Um, the demo version, of course, because the demo <laughs> version is is like elite compared to the album version, in my opinion. Um, but I just, I mean, I think that's what United and, and maybe Liverpool fans are going to be wanting to do this weekend is bury yeah. your head and forget about <laughs> these ridiculous results. Um, in that same vein, I've also gone with pressure by Dayshell. I think there are a lot of managers feeling the pressure right now, namely, yeah. um, you know, FC Cologne's boss, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, of course. Um, I'm not even going to put Klopp in that because that's just <laughs> ridiculous. I think it's just a one-off. But uh, but yeah, um, those, those are my two, so I'll be adding them to the playlist. And the playlist is linked in our Twitter bio. So if you want to check that out, of course, do so. And we'll probably send out a tweet with the link as well. But what about you, Phil? Did you, you pick some bangers for this week? I did. Uh, but they are specifically to capture my feelings of pain and then <laughs> just a nihilistic emptiness uh, by the time f- the full-time whistle went uh, at Villa Park. So <laughs> the first you went with bury your head, Seosin. I went with like moths to flames, uh, bury your pain, which is what <laughs> I will be doing for the rest of the week. Uh, after this r- Liverpool result, I will be hiding it from the world um, so that I can function as a, as an adult. 
Um, <laughs> that one I love because, well, it, it's one of those that they released a single to kind of tie people over between albums. Um, but I think it's one of their best songs. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, Barrier Pain by Like Moths to Flames. And then the second one I have, this is, this is from like that, uh, that genre, like, like Monster Flames is kind of just a metalcore or even just like kind of a generically like heavy scene band. Uh, <laughs> right. Capsize is the other band I've gone for who are more of like a melodic hardcore band um, from a more recent Uh, I guess, iteration of hardcore, not dissimilar from the band counterparts that I had a couple of weeks ago. Um, But capsize with their song, endless emptiness, uh, because that's just the feeling in my soul at the moment. Uh, But they, but they're super there. They ride that line between hardcore and emo. So well capsize um, that it's a very compelling band and, uh, and a good listen uh, for anyone just trying to work through some issues uh, (laughs) as I definitely will be. Um, So those are, those are the additions. And like Mika said, you can find the uh, Spotify playlist link in our Twitter bio. Uh, and we'll, we'll link it in the tweet, uh, promoting this episode as well. And you can follow it on Spotify so that it'll be constantly updated in your feed. So whenever you yeah. hit play on it, it'll have the new tracks in it. Uh, yep. and I, I follow it cause I, I just like to listen to it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, give that a follow. And, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, you can give us a follow as well. Um, at HXC football on Twitter uh, and you can also follow the podcast, uh, either subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on uh, Spotify or Google Play. So we've got um, plenty of ways uh, for you guys to engage and listen to the podcast. Hope you have enjoyed. And uh, it's going to be I don't even want to start to begin to predict what's going to happen next week after the way this week has gone. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure it'll be crazy once again, and we'll uh, have all of that for you. So until next time, uh, yeah, enjoy your week and we'll talk to you then.